For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ. Today I'm joined by automotive author Tom Madigan. Tom has written books like Edelbrock, Made in the USA, The Loner, The Story of a Drag Racer, and uh, Snake vs. Mongoose, How a Rivalry Changed Drag Racing Forever. Tom, thank you so much for coming in today. You're welcome. Uh, before we get started and we talk about your history as a writer and automotive author, let's go back to the very beginning of what started it off for you. What is your earliest automotive memory? Uh, well, first of all, my f- parents or nobody in my family ever drove a car. They had no driver's license. They, they never had a car. So even at a really early age, I was fascinated by cars. And then uh, way after World War II, they would broadcast pieces of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, they would break into the regular programming and maybe do 10 minutes of uh, updates. And I used to listen to that on the radio. And then later when I got a little older, a neighbor of mine took uh, us kids, two or three of us boys, to a, a racetrack. And we saw some you know modified races and stuff. And I, I just was like, it fascinated me and I was kind of hooked on it. And then later when we moved to to uh, California, uh, I landed in paradise, right? I mean, it, back in the uh, early 50s, Los Angeles was a mecca for, you know, hot rodding and car stuff. And then I went back, I met, I would go to old Carroll Speedway and some of the early local tracks. Mm-hmm. And I got, being a kid, I wasn't afraid to go in pits and talk to people. And I started just talking to guys like Tony Bentonhausen and Bill Vukovic and uh, Sam Hanks and Johnny Parsons. Well, as it worked out, Johnny Parsons kind of took a liking to me, I guess, senior. And uh, I went to the Speedway in 59. It was an all, still an all-roaster show. And um, Johnny said, "If when I get back there, uh, look him up. And he took me around. So I went back to the race, and he took me around Gasoline Alley and and what have you. And then um, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to go racing. But the problem was that in those days, if you didn't have family members or friends or your uncle didn't run a shop or whatever, you couldn't get into circle track racing. It was very, very difficult. Yeah. So it still, it still is set up like yeah. that today. And then so. In the early 60s, uh, I went to Santa Ana in the late, I'm sorry, in the late 50s. I got ahead of myself uh, before I graduated from high school. And I met uh, a fellow named Paul Foff who went to the, we went to the same high school, different years, but different, uh, same high school. So anyway, um, I went to Santa Ana. I met up with him, and they were building a dragster at the time. His partner, they were Building, he was building engines, and his partner was a guy named Dave Sowens. So, in the, I think it was like sixty three, sixty four, somewhere in there. Um, I he asked me how much money I had in the bank, you know, and I said ah, I got some money, and he said, "Well, bring it." And so I went. I kind of went in partners with them, and we were going. I was going to drive the car, and 
we had that little, it's a, it was a 265 fuel, blown fuel car that you shifted. It was, but it was a dragster. Anyway, um, from that point, I started meeting up with people like Tony Nancy and just the regular crew at that time back at, at Long Beach and Lions and what have you. And finally, Tony Nancy took, I wanted to go on my own. And Tony Nancy took me over to Kent Fuller. Kent Fuller's shop was next to Tony Nancy's shop in Woodland. I mean, yeah, Woodland Hills. And Ed Pink was there building engines. And I think Wayne Ewing was still there building bodies. So theoretically, you could walk into Fuller's shop, get a chassis, go over to Pink's, get a motor, go to Tony Nancy's, get an interior, and turn around and get a Wayne Ewing body. It was kind of the the way that little courtyard worked. Kind of a best of all worlds. Best of all worlds. So anyway, I got a a fuller chassis, and he helped me a great deal putting the mechanical pieces together, the front end, the the container, clutch container, the rear end, and that. He mounted everything for me. And then from that point, I just built, ended up building my car, and Dave Sowens and Paul Pfaff, were, were then by then in the engine building business, and they were getting to be specialists in Chevrolet, the small block. Were you mechanically inclined when you first started? No. What so if- I, I was I was fascinated. I tried to do stuff, but when you once you get into this to drag racing or this, or any kind of racing, you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And when I had my own car, it was a pretty steep learning curve. Dave Sowens. Uh, became my crew chief for sake of argument. We went race together and he was really good. So he showed me all the little things I needed to know. And then as far as driving the car, uh, a guy named Gary Gabalich helped me out quite a bit. He was just starting out too, but he, he had already been driving Chrysler cars. And so he helped me get started and, and learn how to, you know, run the car itself. And what was your, your goal? Did did you want to put together a team? Did you want to make this professional? Or did you did you personally just want to drive and go fast in a straight line? No. I think I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do. I wanted to go racing. But at the same time, and this is kind of hard to explain, but at the same time, I had I had found out that I had a talent for writing stories. Mm-hmm. And I had practiced a little bit uh doing some doing some odd jobs and stuff but i really liked the storytelling aspect also but back in those days there were no real it wasn't as it is today you know sponsor packages and all that you just did what you did on your own or you had a guy with like tommy greer or somebody that had deep pockets that could afford to do it as a hobby uh, you were getting maybe $500 or so for a top fuel win. So what happened to me has happened to a whole bunch of people. I just ran out of money and went broke. Yeah, which is, you know, like before, it's a common story going on today. Yeah. It's just you you run out of money. You run out of, uh, out of a way to get the car. You can't make any money at that time. No. I mean, you know, even if you made a grand, you couldn't really keep and it oh, went all back into the car. It went all back in the car. The guys that were making it, like I said, Greer and Black and Perdone and, and some of the 
the guys who had a group of guys together, they put in their money. Yeah. Maybe they worked a part-time job, whatever. But they put the money in. And then eventually Mickey and Mickey Thompson and some of the other uh, track managers had put up a grand, two grand, you know. And then Ivo, later Ivo and, and Garlitz and people like that began to tour. And that's where the money was back in those days because the track promoters around the country, especially California cars going back east, they couldn't get them. You know, they wanted, the people wanted to see them. So uh, they would tour, and they'd get three grand up an appearance for two match race runs or however the contract was. That way they could earn enough to keep track of the car, keep it maintained, and make a little money, you know, have the push trucks, pay your bills, all that kind of stuff. So there were guys doing that. But as far as I was concerned, I had I had two little kids and just, it just kills you. You can't do it alone. And you said earlier that you discovered you had a knack for riding. How did you come across that discovery? I was always like to tell stories. Even when I was a little kid, I'd tell stories. You know, I'd make them up or I'd find, you know, something interesting. I'd, I heard about it. I'd, you know, I'd tell the story. I don't know. It, it just came. It was just a gift, if that's what you want to call it. When did you sort of start to make your foray into automotive journalism? Well, <laughs> uh, in 1967, I was working. I had given up racing. Uh, I, I had sold my car. I had gotten a, a, a Garlitz car, actually, and I got rid of that, too. And uh, I was working in a nursery. And this guy comes in and he says, uh, hey, if I, uh, if I buy a tree, would you plant it for me? I go, yeah, I'd plant it for you. So uh, the guy buys a tree, and after work, I put it in the back of my pickup truck, took it to the guy's house, and took it out, and I started digging a hole. And the guy comes out, and he's drinking a cup of coffee, and he says, uh, hey, what did you do before you were digging holes? And I said, well, I had a race car, and, you know, that. He goes, uh, well, do you know a lot about racing? I go, well, yeah, I know enough. And he goes, uh, do you type? Hmm. And I said, exact quote. He said, do you type? you ever type? And I go, yeah, I took typing in high school. And he goes, well, I worked for a company called Argus Publishing Company, and we're, uh, we got a m magazine called Motorcade. And he said, I'm the editor, and I, uh, I need somebody that knows something about racing. I said, okay. So he offered me a job at, at Argus. Argus was in uh, Brentwood at the time on Barrington. And uh, it was the coolest thing in the world because you got to go to work with clean clothes. You got to go to the races for free. You're not digging holes and installing trees. I'm not digging trees. holes. Not digging and, and uh, you know, you, I, I interview. I started doing stories. Well, the drag racing stuff was pretty easy for me because I knew I'd go to Long Beach or, or you know, one of the local drag strips. Uh, I knew m most of the guys. So it was kind of easy at first. And then... Um, How did it change? Well, it, it, I had to start buckling down and learning the business. And it was just, uh, you know, a very steep learning curve. And I had, obviously, I had the talent buried in me that came out 
because I took to it like a duck to water. I mean, I really liked it. And so I advanced. We did a book called Motorcade, and then we also did a book called Model Car Science, which back in that time period, there was a lot of slot car racing going on. And uh, it was a slot car slash model Mm -hmm. magazine. And so I worked on that. And at the same time, this fellow that hired me, his name was Ray Hoy, he was teaching me basically what to do, you know, how to run a magazine and how to how to shoot photos and how to crop and how to do this and how to pick photos. And so after a period of time, like all the other guys that started at Hot Rod and all the other different magazines, they were all gas station attendants or mechanics or whatever. They just learned the magazine business. And at that time, uh, it was a, where you could learn it. You know, it wasn't like today when it was all computerized and what have you, you know. So you could actually learn it. So after I was there about, I'm going to say, what, a nine months, the this Ray Hoy fellow comes in and goes, uh, I, um, I'm leaving, uh, I'm going to write the great American novel, uh, you know, good luck and all that. And I thought, well, there goes my magazine career down the tubes. And uh, he left. He, he quit Argus Publishing and, and went to write a book. And uh, the owner... Uh, came in to Don Werner was the owner at the time and he walks into my office and he just said uh, well uh, you're going to be taking over motorcade hmm. and I went from flunky to editor and I I did it I mean I, I don't know how I just worked you know 24-7 and learned it and then shortly after that they decided to cut motorcade from, drop it from their lineup. And uh, we still did popular hot rodding. So at the time, they hired a fellow named Lee Kelly. And Lee Kelly asked me to transfer over to popular hot rodding. And I stayed with popular hot rodding until uh, early 70s because the Baja off-roading had become a big deal in the late 60s, early 70s. And nobody wanted to really go to Baja. Mm -hmm. They they just didn't want to go. And, and so my boss at the time was a fellow named George Elliott. He said, hey, you know, I want you to go down to Baja and do the, do the race in 67, 68. And so I went down. I didn't know an off-road vehicle from a dump truck. And um, I went, I found a, a fellow, a, a big sign, and it said Bill Strop and son, and they were had the Ford team. And I just introduced myself to Bill Strop and said, "I don't know nothing. Will you show me the ropes?" And he threw me in the pre-runner and said, "Yeah," and introduced me to Parnelli Jones and a lot of different people that were racing on not on his team on the Broncos and the F one fifties, Ack Miller and people like that. And uh, I met the Steve McQueen, who was driving for uh, a Vikiki at the time, the Baja boot. So when I got back from these early Baja races, or the first ones, Argus Publishing decided to do an off-road magazine, and the first issue they called it 
uh, off-road vehicles and adventure. What was your your sort of take as being a you know a local guy and a drag strip guy, and then now you're thrown into off-roading. You're down in Mexico. You're with Steve McQueen. You're with Carnelli Jones. I mean, was it sort of a culture shock to you? No, because I'll tell you why. Like Ack Miller was down there, who was a leak a dry lakes guy and a drag racer and a Pan American runner racer and all that. Racers are racers. It, it really doesn't matter. And once I got acquainted, off-road racing was drag racing, was sprint car racing, was midget racing. It, it doesn't matter. The racers are the same, and the the camaraderie becomes the same. If you're in with those guys, you're in with those guys. And, and it, it was, but at least with me, it was that way. And uh, I stayed with Off-Road Mag. I started then Off-Road Magazine, and I stayed with that until uh, 1980. And then I went on my own. And you've written, uh, you know, you go on to Amazon, there's you know, 10, 15 books, yeah. uh, automotive books you've written. What, where did sort of the idea of, hey, instead of writing an article about a magazine, let's write a whole book about Snake and Mongoose, and let's write a whole book about Vic Edelbrock. Um, how did that come along? 50 years in the business. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I loved, I loved the stories. I loved the history of it. You know, like the Edelbrock book with his old father, you go all the way back to the early days of midget racing and stuff like that. And the more I was still in the magazine business, uh, and all during my career in the magazine business, I was constantly exposed to stories. You know, Mickey Thompson and and uh, Tony Nancy and all these guys. I became friends with them, and I saw their stories. I understood what they had gone through, and it fascinated me. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to tell it. So. I, I my first book was uh, with, with Tony Nancy and uh, she you know it was pretty interesting stuff. And you know? what what goes into the process of when you decide to write a book? What are sort of the first steps you start to take? Mainly, what I do like uh, the Bill Strop book, the Boss, the Bill Strop story. I I just went to Bill and I go, hey, you really got a tail here. You know, we ought to do something about it. And he. He kind of agreed with me that, oh, you know, yeah, I'd like to have it down on paper for the family, blah, 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 you know, like that. Well, I developed, I developed my own style of doing it, and that is uh, I, was, I tried to tape record everything because I figured if I got them on tape, I could keep it for, forever. I could keep going back, and, and there, thereby I, could, I didn't have to rely on notes or hearsay or whatever i wanted it coming straight from the person's mouth and so uh i did that with bill i did some interviews but mainly uh i i got his story and you know i struggled with it i'll admit the loner in the in boston bill strop story they it was a struggle because you have to learn how to put a book together and everybody has their own method of doing it but what was the main struggle the just writing you know as many pages or was it the yeah. research well it was a combination because and i always say anybody can write five pages 
a lot of people can write 15 pages. Some guys can write 25 pages. But when you start getting into 150, 200 pages of, of manuscript, you better have a plan. You, you better have a beginning, a middle, and an end, or it's not going to work out. And I found myself, you have to develop that m mindset that you're going to start with the early days, you're going to go through the career, you know, right step by step as the people lived their careers. And uh, after I got that down to where I, I could do it, I understood what I had to do, then it, would, it got a little easier. With the snake and mongoose, uh, Darlene went, my wife Darlene went to high school with Perdone. I knew Perdone since before he worked for Ivo. I knew McCune my whole drag racing career. So that was not a, a you know. No, that was more of a layup. It was more of a layup, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, the the Edelbrock story was uh, took me three years. Because now, why is that? It was just a lot of research. I, I had to go back to the, you know, way, way back. And uh, with Vic Sr. and the people that he dealt with and, in some of the early days at the dry lakes, and uh, it, it just took a long time. What did you learn when you were writing a story about, like, Vic Adelbrock like that? Like, what, what were some of the standout stories to you? I think, uh, I think that it, what fascinated me or, or I found out was that back in the day, back when we started this business, the – Everything had to be, you had to make what you needed. And the talent of these guys, like Luigi Lasovsky and, and some of the early pioneer guys, Frank Curtis, who could lay out a car on chalk on the garage floor and weld up a bunch of tubing, and Luigi could pound aluminum to where you couldn't tell it was pounded you know yeah. what i mean the guy was there was a lot of artists they may have been rough guys but they were really artists the engine builders were uh clay smith people like that they were that's what really fascinated me that you could do something with your own hands create stuff and in a lot of cases those guys made up what they needed they did a manifold they make create one like Vic Senior, you know, create manifolds, draw them up on a piece of paper, a lunch bucket, I mean a lunch bag, and design and weld them yourself and make the molds and all that stuff. They were doing everything by hand back then, and it, it was very, very interesting to me personally. Are you still writing today? Yep. Do you have any projects or something specific you're working on? Yeah, I finished a book on George Fulmer. Uh, year ago year and a half ago and yeah i'm a cancer patient so i had a little tough time and so uh the project i'm working on now is the is the uh, justice brothers family uh eddie justice jr runs the justice brothers mm -hmm. car care products but but the the brothers uh ed senior zeke and gus they were gigantic pioneers in uh, in back in the day they go back to the 
they were the first to put a decal on a, on a NASCAR stock car, and they they sponsored midgets. They they were involved in the business from the earliest period, and uh, like Eddie Justice says, uh, Junior says, he said they were the Forrest Gump of the automotive business. They were always in the right place at the right time when something big happened, and uh, their drive to make success out of uh, you know, first they were uh, wind oil distributors. Mm-hmm. They went to Florida. They made a huge success out of the business. They broke with the Wins family and started Justice Brothers Car Care Products. Went back to California. They went back to California, still with Wins. But when they separated, they went into business for themselves. And and every change that they had was a tremendous struggle for them. And they overcame. It was the great American family story, or it is, you know. And th- and so that's going to be your your next project. We're about halfway done. Oh, okay. And the one good thing about this project is that Ed Justice Jr. has, like the Peterson Museum, has kept an just an unbelievable amount of memorabilia. Yeah, he's quite the historian. Yeah, he's got it's the uh, photos are going to be spectacular. They're going all the way back to, you know, the earliest times. And uh, they're all good, great photos. I got a lot of good material that we're working on, and we've done a lot of great interviews with some of the early NASCAR guys and the rum runners, you know, and all that. And it's, it's a really good story. It sounds exciting. It is. Do you have a topic in you that you one day wish to write? Is there... Is there something even maybe not even automotive related that you got to get this down before? Well, because of my health situation and my age situation, that oh, I got to backtrack a little bit. Over the years, I kept on file all of the tape recorded interviews that I've done with race car personalities. In most cases, Huge stars, you know, Gurney and going all the way back, Phil Hill, all these different, a lot of IndyCar guys, Johnny Boyd, uh, Ray Crawford, uh, like I said, Parsons, uh, Mickey Thompson, Strop, all of the people that I've interviewed, I kept them. And it amounts to about 105 interviews. Wow. And on those interviews, really and truly, is our sport. I mean, going all the way back as far as we want to go back, right? And um, what I'd like to do before I check out of here is uh, I want to do a book on on what I've experienced in my own career, but the whole book based on the stories that these people have told me. So through your eyes, more of just about a more than just a biography. Yeah, it wouldn't be a really. I, I don't want it to be a biography because uh, that's that's kind of a little bit egocentric. I it wasn't. I was just blessed or very lucky to be around these people, and their stories are what's worthwhile hearing about. But it's the way that I got them that's interesting. But for example, I've got eight hours of Mickey Thompson. I've got, I've, I think I'm the only one in the business that ever recorded Mickey Thompson's mother. Wow! 
And uh, the same with, I recently loaned the Crawford family a, a tape recording that I had of Ray Crawford. He, you know, he ran in the Pan American Road Race in 53, 54, was a midget driver. But he was also a World War II hero. He was a ace. He flew a, a P-38 Lightning and shot down a, a lot of German aircraft. And he was a, a huge uh, Air Force hero. So, and, and Johnny Boyd and Johnny Parsons. and These guys, by interviewing them, they told me stories about other drivers and other guys. And I, I think for the automotive enthusiast, somebody who likes history, likes stories, uh, it'd be a pretty good thing. It sounds like it's going to be a great book, and, and I look forward to reading it when it's done. Yeah. Uh, and, and also with the Justice Brothers book and everything else you have coming out, uh, Tom Madigan, if anybody wants to buy one of your books, where should they go, Amazon? or They can go on Amazon. Uh, Motor Books has some of my books. So yeah, go. You can even type in Tom Madigan, M A D I G A N at Amazon dot com. There's books like Edelbrock, Made in the USA, The Loner, The Story of a Drag Racer, and Snake vs. Mongoose: How a Rivalry Changed Drag Racing Forever. Mr. Madigan, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you.